You're listening to The Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon. Ahead of the high-level week of the 76th UN General Assembly session, which begins on the 21st of September, UN Chief Antonio Guterres launched a common agenda, his vision for the future of the organisation. The report lays out two distinct, divergent visions for the world, one of breakdown and perpetual crisis, or a breakthrough to a greener, safer world. At the heart of the vision is enhanced multilateralism, with a summit of the future creating a new global consensus on what the future of the world should look like and how to secure it. Asumta Masoy from UN News sat down with Mr Guterres to discuss the report, as well as the UN chief's take on some pressing global issues, including the humanitarian situation in Afghanistan and the COVID-19 pandemic. She started by asking him to explain why he remains convinced that multilateralism is the key to a better world. Look what has happened to our world. Uh, a virus has defeated the world. More than one year and a half after everything started, we still have the virus spreading everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see a dramatic impact on the lives of people a dramatic increase of inequalities, uh, economies in extremely uh, uh, difficult situations, and of course the most vulnerable suffering enormously. And the world was not able to come together and to define a global vaccination plan Mm -hmm. and bringing the countries that produce vaccines or can produce vaccines together with the, the World Health Organization, with the, the uh, in, uh, international financial institutions, to then deal with the pharmaceutical industry and double the production and make sure that there is an equitable distribution at the production. Mm-hmm. This cannot be done by a country alone. Mm-hmm. It needs to be done by all. The problem is that the multilateral institution we have now, which is essentially WHO, WHO has not even the power to obtain information about the situation. It has the p- not the power to investigate about the origins of, uh, 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 of a disease. So, I mean, we need to solve the problem multilaterally, mm-hmm. bringing everybody together, mm-hmm. but we need to have multilateral institutions with a stronger capacity, capacity of governance in order to be able to prevent and in order to be able to solve the challenges that we face. And if we talk about climate, Mm -hmm. it is the same. Mm -hmm. We are on the verge of the abyss. uh, uh, And uh, the truth is that uh, uh, objective very clearly fixed by the uh, scientific community that Mm -hmm. temperatures should not go above 1.5 degrees Mm -hmm. uh, until the end of the century. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are risking not to be able to do it because countries are not cooperating among themselves. Mm -hmm. Countries, there is a lot of mistrust between developed countries, developing countries. Uh, There is a a north-south divide that is making it difficult for all to assume commitments to reduce emissions uh, in order uh, to have a drastic uh, reduction in the next decade Mm -hmm. or to reach carbon neutrality in 2050. So we need a strengthened multilateralism. It's clear that only cooperating we can solve the problems. But the institutions we have have no teeth. So, uh, and sometimes uh, even when they have teeth, Mm -hmm. like it is the case of the Security Council, they have not much appetite to bite. We need uh, a multilateral group of institutions networked, working together, because everything now is interlinked, Mm -hmm. and with more authority 
in order to be able to mobilize the whole international community to solve the problems that we face. And that is exactly uh, uh, one of the objectives of the common agenda, mm -hmm. to detect what are the global commons and the global public goods that need improved governance and to work with member states to find mechanisms in order for that governments mm -hmm. uh, to be more effective, for us to be able to prevent future pandemics, for us to be able to defeat climate change, for us to be able to address the dramatic inequalities in today's world. Let us now focus on COVID-19. Specifically, you have been insisting that no one is safe until everyone is safe. But the, the, the reality is different, especially in Africa, where with less than 2% of the people vaccinated, and in many parts of the world, vaccines are not being used. What must be done for developed or richer nations to accept and act on the fact that the fight against COVID-19 can only succeed as, as a common global enterprise? Well, as I said, we need a global vaccination plan. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to bring together all those that produce or can produce vaccines mm -hmm. and double the production and have an equitable distribution. This has been clearly our appeal, unfortunately mm -hmm. not yet met. And the result is what you said. Mm -hmm. I mean, my country that has been very successful is now 80% of the population fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. In Africa, as you mentioned, there are countries with less than 2%. Mm -hmm. And the problem is this virus is spreading like wildfire in the global south mm -hmm. and spreading like wildfire, it is mutating, it mm -hmm. is changing. Mm -hmm. And there is a risk that at a certain moment, one of these mutations will bring a virus that is able to resist the vaccines that now are applied. And in that day, nobody will be safe in mm -hmm. the south and in the north, not even in the, in the countries where everybody was vaccinated. So this is a reason to understand that the priority must be to vaccinate everybody everywhere. And that is why we made an appeal for um, all the measures uh, to be taken in order to guarantee that 70% of the population of the world will be vaccinated in the middle of next uh, year in an equitable way, mm. not 100% in one place and 20% uh, in another. So around the whole world. Let's turn now to Afghanistan, where the situation is a, huge, is a huge concern, especially for women. What broad strategy do you think the UN and its partners should adopt to best help the people of Afghanistan now? Well, uh, the situation is unpredictable. Uh, we all want uh, Afghanistan to have a uh, uh, inclusive government. We all want Afghanistan to respect uh, human rights and especially about women and girls. Mm -hmm. We all want uh, Afghanistan never to be again a center for terrorists uh, of uh, other countries to, fa to have a safe haven. We all want Afghanistan to fight drug trafficking. But uh, it is difficult to forecast what's going to happen. It's still unclear what's mm. going to happen. Mm. But I think that the UN has a duty. And our duty is to engage. Uh, to engage based on what we can deliver, and what we can deliver is essentially humanitarian aid uh, at the present moment, and to engage uh, in order to uh, uh, explain to the Taliban how important it is for them to have an inclusive government of all the different uh, ethnicities and of course with women, to have women and girls' rights uh, respected women must be able to work, girls must be able to have all levels of education, mm. and at the same time uh, to cooperate with the international community fighting terrorism in an effective way. So we need to engage with the Taliban, and that's mm. what we have done. Mm. As you know, uh, we have sent uh, uh, Martin Griffith, our emergency relief coordinator and head of the Office of Coordination of Humanitarian uh, Affairs, to go to Kabul and to speak with the Taliban leadership on 
How can we deliver humanitarian aid? How can it be done in a safe uh, uh, environment? How can it be done um, in, in an equitable way in which uh, there are no discriminations of any kind? Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, to engage with them on the other aspects that I mentioned about human rights uh, and uh, other uh, forms of cooperation that are essential. So we need to engage. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't know how things will develop, but we know that if we don't engage, they will probably go in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And then we need to mobilize the international community to provide humanitarian aid. The Afghan people is suffering so much. It is vital to um, bring to the Afghans food, medicine, and other basic uh, forms of support to avoid the catastrophic situation in the country. And another concern we have is because of all the different measures and sanctions that exist, uh, there is a risk of completely strangling the economy. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the international community must find ways to inject some cash in the Afghan economy in order to avoid the collapse of the economy that would have devastating consequences in relation to uh, the life of the Afghans and also pro provoking a, a massive exodus that of course would be um, a, a factor of instability in the whole region. Less than now on the issue of gender equality. In many countries around the world, women are still left behind on multiple fronts. You've done a lot to advance the issue of gender parity here in the United Nations, and many critics charge that uh, the UN should be driving this agenda more forcefully. What actions do you wish to see implemented to ensure that uh, gender equality is a reality by 2030? Well, there are many dimensions. Uh, mm. Of course, the representation of women in the different uh, uh, organ organs of the UN and also at uh, uh, national and international level. The questions of uh, support to women entrepreneurs and the uh, economic empowerment of women, mm. fighting gender-based violence that is still, as you know, a terrible situation in conflict areas, but at home. In, yeah. in many, many circumstances. Mm -hmm. Abolishing all uh, discriminatory legislation uh, that still exists in many countries where full equality between women and men are not in the law. Um, so all these things are priorities for us. But there is a central question, which is a question of power. Mm -hmm. Power today in the world is still essentially concentrated on men and with a male-dominated culture. And power is usually not given. Power is taken. So we need women to fully fight for their rights. And we need the men that understand that only with full gender equality the, the world will improve and the problems will be solved. We need those men to engage effectively in the fight for gender equality. And in this question of power in the UN, as you know, uh, we have now parity equal number of women and men in 180 high-ranking uh, uh, officers of the UN and uh, in the leaders of our teams around the world. Because we feel that if in the organs where the power exists there is parity, this will inevitably have consequences uh, uh, down, down the line. Mm. So we must have the same in governments, we must have the same in parliaments, we must have the same in all bodies. We need to have women and men in full equality where decisions are taken, mm. where power exists to make sure that uh, we change this unbalanced power relationship that um, is the result of uh, uh, centuries of um, uh, male domination and patriarchy. Another marginalized group uh, are the youth. 
and we've been calling for everyone to provide youth a seat at the table as nations strive to build an inclusive and equitable world for all. What would you like to see the youth themselves do to make sure that they get that opportunity? I think young people now have enormous instruments to come together and to make their voice heard. Young people dominate social media much more than my generation. Mm -hmm. Young people have an enormous capacity of mobilization, as we have seen in the movements against racism, uh, against climate change, uh, against uh, inequalities of different sorts. Uh, the movement for gender equality, where the young generation is extremely progressive in relation to the uh, older ones. Uh, so. Uh, we need to create the institutional mechanisms mm -hmm. to allow for the voice of the young people to be more present where decisions are taken. And that is the reason why, again, in the Common Agenda, we have a number of important measures to give young people voice and influence in the way the UN works. Let's focus now on Africa, on the issues of conflict. You've warned recently that events in Afghanistan could also influence what happens next in certain volatile hotspots in Africa in particular, where extremist ideologies driving uh, conflict. Could you please explain how you see this? Well, I think we, if one looks at a situation like the Sahel, uh, I'm very worried. Uh, we see uh, a reduction of the French presence. We have seen Chad uh, moving uh, troops uh, from the most dangerous area. Uh, and we see the terrorist groups emboldened by the uh, situation in Afghanistan, the victory of the Taliban. Uh, and so uh, I think it's time to really rally efforts to make sure that we create a effective security mechanism in the Sahel. That is why I've been always advocating for a strong African force by the African Union together with regional organizations mm -hmm. with support from the Security Council and the uh, Chapter 7 resolution and with contributions, mandatory contributions to guarantee that that force will be effectively supported. But then we also know that a military force is not enough. Mm -hmm. We need to have development, we need to fight the impact of climate change and we need to do everything to improve the governance of the area. So we need really to boost our efforts and I appeal the international community to fully support it in the different dimensions, in the security dimension, in the development dimension, in the humanitarian dimension, in the governance and human rights dimension. And if we do it, we will be able to defeat terrorism in the Sahel. But if we keep the same situation we have today, I'm very worried about that development. And the same can be said about other parts of Africa where what happened in Afghanistan might embolden now uh, terrorist groups uh, or other um, uh, rebel movements uh, to uh, become uh, more aggressive. And uh, on the global security, peace and security globally, uh, the world continues to grapple with more security threats. Of course, you've, you've spoken about the issue of uh, uh, extremism, but then there are forms of like conflicts, terrorism or weapons of mass destruction. What more can the UN do to make the world a more secure place? Well, the biggest problem today is the lack of trust, and especially the lack of trust among the big powers. You see that in the difficulties of the Security Council to take adequate decisions mm -hmm. to address the different crises in the world. And uh, with this division, with this divide among the big powers, with this lack of trust, what we, cr we see is an environment of impunity. People think they can do whatever they want. Mm. So we need to rebuild trust. And we need to rebuild trust among those that have more influence in world affairs to be able to cooperate in order to make sure that we are 
able to unite the international community in addressing the crises that are multiplying now. We see no coup d'etats, we see uh, new situations of conflict, uh, we see social instability and unrest, and we need to have a Security Council that is united, that is strong, mm -hmm. and for that we need uh, a serious dialogue among the big powers to try to find common ground. Now the general debate is next week, Mr. Secretary General. Do you have any message or what is your key message to the world leaders as they are coming next well, week? Well, my main message is it's time to ring the alarm bell. We are on the verge of a precipice and we are moving in the wrong direction. Look at the vaccination. Look at uh, the difficulties in bringing together all countries to make sure that we make COP26 a success. Look at the multiplication of conflicts we have witnessed in the last few months. Uh, we need to change course and we need to wake up. So my message to the leaders, wake up, change course, unite, and let's try to defeat the enormous challenges we are facing today. You've been listening to The Lid Is On, the flagship podcast from UN News. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to our new climate action podcast series, No Denying It, which features the voices of young climate advocates and some of the world's best-known actors and influencers, including Ed Norton and Michelle Yeoh. No Denying It is available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Connor Lennon. Thanks for listening.